Hi everyone, welcome back to First Gen Friends. In this episode, I'm so excited because I interview a first generation Salvadorian American who also grew up in Long Island like me, so basically we're twins. She is an entrepreneur and founder of Bonita Fierce Candles, a premium heritage focused home fragrance brand. Her mission is to revolutionize the toxic and generic home fragrance industry and create better-for-you products that cement a space for diverse, nuanced Latin voices and stories. In 2020, she realized the scents she grew up with, like Café con Leche, Coquito, Lavender Fabulosa, and more, were not represented in the home fragrance industry, which she then launched in 2020. By 25 years old, Melissa was the first Latin-owned candle brand in Nordstrom. She was the youngest and only Latina founder in the Ulta Beauty Muse Accelerator, and she has no plans to slow down anytime soon. She shares the importance of her family, her journey to entrepreneurship, and everything that has inspired her to get there. This is Melissa. Melissa, welcome to First Gen Friends. Hi, it's great to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm obsessed with your candles. They're so delicious. And also the perfect way to teach my husband how to speak Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) Very relatable. (laughs) Yeah. So I love to start the podcast with a little bit about you and your family. Where are your parents from and where did you grow up? So my, both my parents are from El Salvador. They did not meet there. My mom actually came to the U.S. when she was 10 in the 80s, uh, early 80s. And my dad came when he was 19 in the mid 80s during the Salvadorian Civil War. So I think that for my parents, it's really important to note that because my mom came before the Civil War started and my dad during, and he lost his brother uh, to the war and his father. And so he and two of his his other brothers crossed the Mexican-American border to the United States. And then he came to New York shortly after and he met my mom um, on Long Island. My mom's side, my like everybody speaks English and everybody's very much assimilated. And so when my mom and uh, her sister, my aunt, came to the country too, they were young, 10 and 14. They did go through the US school system on Long Island and it was still really white. And so the only way to really like get out of poverty was to you know, start going into the corporate world. My mom was an assistant and a secretary for a very long time. And then because when she had me and my sister, she went into the school system to be a teacher assistant where she could have summers off and she could really be with us. And that was because my mom has a very, she really, really wanted to be there for us as kids. Like she really wanted to be an involved parent because she was left in El Salvador for four years before coming to this country. My grandma immigrated before my mom and then came back for her kids to bring them to the US. So that was also, that really hurt her as a kid. And so as a parent, she was like, I wanna spend as much time with my kids as humanly possible, which was amazing. But also the decision to not teach us Spanish really comes from deeply rooted racism and discrimination on Long Island. And Long Island is one of the top 10 most segregated suburbs in the United States. And I say that because people don't understand the context of where I live. And especially like when you're, you know, in Manhattan or you go and try and tell your story, this is a story that's not very much told because we tend to be in, in communities of color. But when you start to get out of those communities, 
it's a very a very different place to live. It's a, it's a different way to live because you're really trying to be that come up story, that one in a million. And my mom was able to get me out of the hood, the suburban hood, and move us into a house, into a, into a better neighborhood. But it also meant a school system that was very white, right. very far out in the suburbs. Like I'm not close to Manhattan. Like I, Midtown Manhattan is at least an 80 minute ride from where I am. So even though it's accessible to get into the city, nobody actually wants to take the train into the city unless you work in the city. Mm-hmm. And the people here love our diehard Long Islanders. So, and I don't, and I'm not one of those people because this, where I grew up, didn't treat me right. Yeah. And you're still in the area that you grew up. I am. I am. What has kept you there all this time? Money. I can't move out and put myself in more debt and burden myself with rent. It, the cost of living, living is too high, even on Long Island, even if I were to go to community, like, you know, being in the greater New York City area, I'm going to be paying very similar rent. I also still value being at home with my mom, my sister, and my immediate family. And I want to be close to them, but it's at the cost of the community in which I live. Do you think, or do you know if your parents did that because of the culture and because they wanted you to assimilate like early? It really wasn't my dad's decision. It wasn't my dad's decision to have me speak um, only English. It was really my mom's. Uh, she didn't want me to struggle in school. Like I said, she was a teacher assistant. So she understood what the bilingual and ESL programs were like, were like in the schools. And there wasn't enough support. She's always said they're, they're basically garbage, those programs, to be able to either have you teach, learn English as a second language and then you're struggling in school and you're not thriving, you're succeeding versus, you know, you're going to be in a bilingual classroom, but there's really no bilingual classroom to be had at that time when I was growing up. Like there were no other bilingual students. So it didn't make any sense. It would just be me and maybe like a special services teacher. So for her at the time, it was, she wanted me to have the best shot at life. And that's what really was the active decision. She didn't want me to struggle in school. And even now, now she said she regrets it because it would be so much better for me to be bilingual. But I was also a student who always was already struggling um, in English. So adding a second language could have been, you know, detrimental to my education at that time in elementary school. Sure, I could have caught up, but I definitely wouldn't have the opportunities or I rather I wouldn't be able to succeed as much as I had with a second language. And I don't know that for sure. But at the time, my mom wanted to make sure I had the best shot at life. And I was already an average student in English. Yeah. Like adding a second language could have just brought me down even further. Meanwhile, education, like higher education is the goal of most immigrant parents. They're like, you have to go to college. Like you have to get more education after this. Like we didn't have this and you will. And that was my whole identity until I left high school. That was like, I need to know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, period. You mentioned a little bit about your childhood with your family. What was your childhood like with like friends? Did you make friends at school? Like, was it just you and your sister? I didn't have any friends in elementary school, but when I got to middle school, my element, the local elementary school merged for the first time. 
So there are four elementary schools in my district. So in middle school, I finally found like my tribe of white girls. <laughs> um, and we just bonded over teenage girl things. You know, I really leaned into like that white assimilation, like learning all of the things that white people do. And that included like sleepovers and movies and pop culture. For the first time, I was finally listening to like the top, you know, the top 100 on Billboard, listening to radio and like discovering those things for the first time through my white friends. So that's kind of how I was like, you know, assimilated Americanized. Um, and I loved, I had three best friends in in high school and one friend in particular now i'm still friends with her to this day um i'm a part of her bridal party um and we're still we're still good friends to this day which is great like i have that one friend from high school that knows exactly what i went through and the same goes for her and my fondest memories of childhood i gotta say are the ones where i was spending time with my mom's side of the family like we were doing all of our outings on Long Island. Like there's a lot of perks to living in the suburbs because of the amount of space. You're not like, like we were able to go to the farms. We were able to like cut down a Christmas tree. We were able to go to like the water park and the beach and have all of those fun memories living here. And so we went through, like, that's what we did. And I loved my summers. You know, my mom specifically got her job so she could spend the summers with us. So we can, you know, garden outside and play in like our makeshift pool, like the pools you buy at the store and like build up, getting a trampoline, like all those things. Those are my fondest memories of a kid. And I got a dog. That was awesome. I loved my dog. You know, like I, I definitely love those. But in school, it was definitely more challenging as I got older. Even as a teenager, those were the times where I was starting to get bullied and for my identity and things that were really out of my control, but also because I was still struggling with my identity. And so I was mean. I was a mean kid for sure. Like I remember dropping a backpack on some girl because she was on my last nerve. You know, there's definitely some times where I'm like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that taking it like I took it the wrong way or like people were mean to me so I would like kind of have like the fighting spirit like I wasn't a, a kid that fought so I fought with my words and people did not like that same goes for college too though like I re like I find I used to find out the insecurities so people would be vulnerable and would come right back at them if they did not if they did me wrong and that happened a lot but at the same time, like I knew how much I was struggling to just fit in. And I didn't really understand why at the time. What's your relationship now with your culture? I'm still discovering it. I still feel like I'll always be in this phase of discovery. And even so much because my mom, she came when she was 10. So she's lived well than half her life in the U.S., and so her connection with El Salvador and her culture and her background also comes from a lot of trauma. So a lot of it wasn't passed on. And so now I'm in this phase of discovering like what, what were other people doing it during this time? Like what can I take from food and music and, and life in El Salvador? And what are those traditions like? Like I only discovered last year that my family used to celebrate the Los Muertos in El Salvador. And I'm like, we did? That was a, that's a, we did? And my tia was like, yeah, I remember. And I'm like, 
mom why don't you why don't you know she's like i don't know she's just i don't i don't remember those things and so there's always this feeling of discovery as my like with the my connection with um with my culture and i also really identify as a u.s latina because it's a melting pool and so my cousins are half puerto rican on my mom's side and so i also really identify with puerto rican culture because they brought that to the table like their father brought that to the table and i love their foods i love their culture and so and some of my other cousins are mexican have mexican and that really resonates with me as a u.s latina because I, I it's a melting pool and i feel connected to those spaces and those people and also reclaiming my hair going through my uh, hair journey uh going curly not straightening not and just completely going natural and i've been naturally curly for five years now which is absolutely amazing and i have never straightened my hair from the day i started going curly and I love being I, able to be proud of that. I mean, I've seen pictures. Your hair is gorgeous. And I need to know tips on how you maintain it because I was curly last night, but I'm like, I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I knew that. Like, my hair is going to be huge. So I need to know how to keep it tamed. When it's well, at like night, it's like satin scrunchies. Um, okay. I get mine from Hello Updo, another, like an Afro Latina owned brand. And I also use bonnets, like satin bonnets on my hair to help with that. Uh, Satin pillowcases. But I prefer bonnets because I like the feeling of like other pillowcases on my face. (laughs) There's another thing. But um, (laughs) it sounds like like, I know it. I mean, it's not really if you want to get the more expensive ones, but I like just buy a pack off of Amazon. Yeah. And I finding the right products was the biggest journey of all because I had no idea what I was doing. My mom taught me to straighten my hair as a kid. Like again, it's like the assimilation aspect and like the idea that black long straight hair was the definition of beauty in El Salvador. Didn't know that until like, you don't break these things apart. It just is what it is until you learn and discover why, why is it that my hair had to be long, had to be black and straight, but that's what the beauty standards were in El Salvador. So they transferred over to my grandma and to my mom and then to me, but now I broke it because I love having long curly hair. I'm also curious, you know, thinking about your childhood and all the things that you've dealt with, with like bullying, not understanding where you belonged. Do you remember having some kind of American dream. It's funny because that's what my college essay was about. Perfect. My (laughs) my American dream was actually to go to college. That was it. When I was growing up, everything was boiling up to that point. And then I really didn't know what to do with myself when I got there. But I didn't know what I want to study. And I did know I wanted to explore entertainment media and figure out kind of where I fit because I was a communication major. And to many people, that's like the easiest major on earth, but it's not because you don't know what you want to do. You can go literally, you're a chameleon. But in my case, I knew it was, I was going to work two times harder to get half as far. And because I was a very average kid, I really had to work 
And I did. I did six internships in college. And by the time I left, I had a job at one of the top five media companies in the world. I was working freelance for a long time, but then I really just, I didn't know what I wanted to do once I got there either. Like, did I really enjoy this? I ended up getting my master's degree in media management, but at the end of the day, I, my American dream really shifted as I got older because I just needed to get to college. I needed to be that first generation. I needed to make my mom proud and my ancestors proud, make my grandma proud. And I lost my grandma one week after 9-11. And so I never knew my grandma. My mom kept her alive through many, many stories. She's the pioneer. I think about like the, the stories of the matriarchs. My grandma was a matriarch. My mom is a matriarch. My, my Thea is a matriarch. Like I come from a very, like a family of just of women. So as first generation, you know, college grad, I felt the need to make them all very proud and to find my way. My mom always supported any dream I had. She, it didn't matter what it was as long as I was happy doing what I was doing. And if my mom, if my mom knew more in her life, like if she had the support and the resources, she would have been a teacher. And I always think about that because I'm doing the work that she wouldn't be able to do. She wasn't able to do. And now I'm building generational wealth. Now my American dream is to support my family and making sure that we don't have to worry ever again. But, you know, putting myself first and what's making me happy and doing the work that I love, plus building my own family one day, building that life, and then hopefully being able to have like this circle of generational wealth, being able to have my mom retire one day because she's never going to retire. She's going to work until she's dead. And it's horrible to say, but I want to be able to give as much as I can back to my family. And I'm sure they're very proud of you. I'm proud of you. And I just met you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. They are. You just mentioned going to college and everything that you aspired to do. What inspired you to start Bonita Fierce Candles? Our mission is to celebrate and elevate the cultural crossroads of what it means to be 100% Latina and 100% American. You know the saying, no soy ni de aquí ni de allá. That is what we live by. Making sure that we're celebrating and elevating this culture and we're doing this through home fragrance. So I started the business in 2020. I was working my nine to five, working remotely. I finally was like, I have more time on my hands. What am I going to do? Like, I'm the kind of person that can't just live for their nine to five. Um, and I just needed to do something more. So it was a hobby and it was a side hustle. I wanted to figure out a way to make more money. And so I was making candles and then I was like, what kind of candles do I want to make? And then as I was also coming into my Latinidad, and finding a group of Latinas online and finding community, like shout out to the Mujerista network. And that's kind of where I really, that's where I really started because I felt like I found a group of women who understood my experiences and that value would I have to have to say. And I didn't get that on Long Island. I didn't get that growing up. So finding my, my tribe was really helpful online. And it really speaks to like my age too, because I'm like, there's no way 
you could do that any at any point, you know, in time. You I was able to just like go into this moment and feel and I felt a need. And so I was just making candles at home. I was burning a lot of candles from home. It was always my form of self-care. But then I was also shopping for products. I was really shopping intentionally and trying to shop for products that spoke to my identity. So like, you know, buy like Latina makeup, buying Latina owned like clothing brands and like being a more conscious shopper during the pandemic. And I didn't find anything in the candle world. And so that was my goal. And it had morphed into like this empowerment, like Latina slogan sayings all the way, you know, into now there's a need for fragrance, specifically scents that speak to our community and our experiences. So, you know, the our scents, cafecito con leche and coquito and lavender fabulosa, like those are all things that speak to us. And so it's my mission to really uproot the narrative that fragrances home is in Europe. And they'll always say that, but it's not. And there's so much beauty in Latin America that has not been explored in the fragrance world. So now all of our fragrances are inspired by parts of Latin America in this US Latino American experience. And it's our like, I wanted it to be part of our self care routines. Like you don't know you need the candle until you actually smell it and it reminds you of memories versus, you know, oh, eucalyptus and spearmint, a lavender lemonade, a pumpkin spice, like they're fun and they smell good, but they don't have that extra substance to you. Like this candle will remind you of the holidays. This candle will remind you of waking up on Saturday morning, se cafecito, or so the, you know, the blaring music of like bachata and salsa as you're cleaning your home and you smell the lavender fabuloso on the floor. Like these are just innately experiences that are very Latino and I want to be able to celebrate and elevate them in the form of a candle and hopefully other products. What kind of impact do you think you've made so far since launching Bonita Fierce? I feel like people are really able to find a new way to celebrate their identities and are able to take that celebrating your culture is self-care. And they're going through these transformational journeys, these ancestral healings. And that is what I want my brand to be. Like I wanna be able to be part of your routine and part of your life that's going along this healing journey because we carry many traumas as we're going through an identity crisis. Like every single one of us has our struggles and that's the kind of impact I wanna be able to make. Like I wanna be able to go into somebody's home and feel welcome and have this you know, sense of familiarity, home and belonging. Like you own this space, this is a sacred space for you. And these candles elevate that experience. Do you feel like you've faced any adversity during this journey? Do you know how many white people are in home fragrance? Yes. <laughs> Do you know? I, a lot of people don't understand the product and why this is so important. And so that's kind of where like all the market research comes into play. You know, 25% of, of US millennials are Latino or will be Latino by 2024. 
and we're very much growing population in the multicultural space. And this is a split, uh, multicultural fragrance has not been explored. Like I can find so many studies about beauty and fine fragrance, but nothing about home home fragrance or air care is the other term for it. So a lot of people don't understand what I'm doing and that I'm actually reinventing the wheel with new fragrances that people don't don't really should be fragrances that, that we they can be fun and elevate your your self-care routine or just as a gimmick to some of the fragrances that I've developed or I am developing or like really things that you've never heard of um that are out on the out on market for candles like you know what it is but it's going to come in a candle and it'll be really cool um and playing around with new ingredients you know people don't really play around with like hibiscus or chili so finding new ways to reinvent the wheel a lot of people or like a mango and tahini <laughs> yes exactly for like, that one <laughs> exactly like that's not on market that's not mainstream but a lot of the it's very hard to get past the capital portion of it that's probably the biggest part of the adversity is that you're finan- you're facing financial institutions that inherently do not help you that there you go and ask for money and it's not there because you don't have the credit you don't know how to write a business plan you don't know a lot of things you don't know how to do financial projections and so like find figuring out a business education has been very difficult because i come from a communications background so i can do some some marketing not all of it um but it's definitely given me a leg up in that regard but if I'm going in for like supply chain, logistics, manufacturing at larger scales and financing, I am in deep water. Hmm. And there's not a lot of support out there to be able to help you. So finding the right people that can lead you in better directions. So somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, like I've done a few accelerators, one, you know, led to another opportunity, which led to a mentorship opportunity. And then she's giving me more opportunities. And that's how the cycle runs. And it takes a long time to do it. It's a long process to get to a million dollars. And some people reach it very quickly, but you have to play your cards right. You need the experience, you need the people, and you need the money. So as a young founder too, I don't have the I don't have a huge network. When I started this business, I was 23. I had no network. I did not have any experience. I had, you know, one, two years of experience, you know, combined in all the time I was working in college. So how was I supposed to figure it out? I did not have I don't have, you know, a rich cousin or a rich uncle to walk me through how to run a business. Like I'm figuring it out on my own. So that's the adversity that I face every day, trying to figure out, find the right people, the right resources to be able to better my business. I think that is a huge part of the first gen experience where we don't have people to fall on, you know, to help us in any way financially with education, like you're kind of just on your own. I've always felt like I was on my own because I'm the first. 
Yep, exactly. You're leading the way, which is also rewarding, but it's it's hard. Yep. Have there been any milestones that stand out so far in this journey that you're like, I can't believe it. I could not believe that by 25, I was the first Latina-owned candle brand in Nordstrom. Like, how is that nobody else has been able to get into the space? I would that so that spoke volumes to me. That was probably my biggest accomplishment. I was the youngest and only Latina founder of the Ulta Beauty Music Accelerator, and I'm so proud of that. And it was also my first business trip. Like I remember getting like they paid for like my transportation to go out to Chicago to headquarters, and I'm like I can't believe I'm sitting on this plane, going to Ulta Beauty to be a part of this program. Like I was just like crying on the plane going because I'm like. This is not what I envision my life to be like. To, to be able to say that this is a business trip. Like I am going on a business trip paid for. That was amazing to me. And just uh, unbelievable at that time. A business trip for your own brand. Exactly. Like amazing. I didn't see, I didn't know. I, was, I did not know I was going to be an entrepreneur. I kind of just fell into this and I didn't know what it was going to take. Like, if had I known what I know now, I probably wouldn't have built my business to start because of how difficult it is to run a product-based business, like a physical product, like a CPG product. Those are two of the biggest, biggest accomplishments in my business so far. And what are some of the, like, what's the dream goal for you? A few things. I'd love to be able to come out with a second line, more that has a lower price. I would love to be able to get it into more of the mainstream market, the like the Target and the Walmarts, the CVSs, like get it more mainstream, get the price down. That's going to take a lot of work uh, because right now I'm in like more of the premium category. So like my product fits at Nordstrom and Macy's and the specialty retailers of the world. So probably coming up with another line, I would love to have my own warehouse. Like I want to, Every, I couldn't tell you how many times people have told me to do contract manufacturing, you know, and that's going to be my way to really scale the business, but that eats up like hundreds of thousands of dollars at a time. And if the batch goes wrong, I'm out, like it could ruin me. But also I really want to be able to employ people of color. And I really want to be able to make differences in the economy and in my community. While I haven't found community on Long Island, eventually I will find community somewhere. And that somewhere will have a warehouse where I'll be able to employ people and create a difference and create jobs. And I think, and I want to be able to be that person. Like I want to have a production facility. I want to be able to pour candles that actually represent the people that are working there. Like that would be really awesome. And so my dream is definitely to be able to scale this business enough to be able to accomplish those things and provide for my family. Like at the end of the day, like I could go to the VC route, which is in the cards for sure. But it, I want to be able to bootstrap as much as I can because not everybody can do it and not everybody could do it effectively. But this is something I want to take my time with and make as much money as I can to be able to do more, more good work. And I have a really strong feeling you're going to. And I feel like you have the willpower, you have the tenacity and just the ambition to get you there. So I'm really excited to see 
all the things that you're going to do in the future. Thank you. I have one more question. What advice would you give to your younger self? And what advice would you give to other uh, entrepreneurs? I would definitely tell my younger self to slow down, to take care of herself. Because I was working since I was 14. Like I knew from a very young age that if I was going to do anything I wanted in this world, I'd have to work for it. And I definitely would tell myself to slow down maybe a little because I've had so many people, guidance counselors tell me, Melissa, you're doing too much. You need to stop. And I never did. I was like, F you. I'm going to do what I want. And it's going to get me far in life because nobody else is doing it. And it did. It worked out. But at the end of the day, it didn't do me any good for the foundation of self-care for me because I'm a workaholic. And it's funny because I own a candle brand that's all about self-care, but it's self-care based on heritage. So it's a little different. I definitely would tell her that your dreams are going to come true and you don't know what they're going to be yet. Like you don't know what you don't know what lies ahead. And your dreams now are not going to be the same. And for other entrepreneurs, I would definitely tell people to find your tribe, find a community of people who are in the same spaces as you. They're in the same stages of life, same stages of business, because you need community. Like you need a group of people who will support you. That's number one. I think number two is don't be afraid to launch. Like, just do it, please. Like, don't be afraid that a product isn't perfect. Don't be afraid to start putting yourself out there. Because I, the business I started with is not the business you see today. I, my word, my messaging was different. My brand was different. My labels were different. Like, it was a completely different product in a way. Like, it is a can, are all candles. But everything about it has very much shifted. And that's okay. Like every like everything doesn't have to be perfect in the first go around because those people will still be there to support you. And you'll realize that strangers will support you more than the people you know in real life too. So there there's going to be a tribe for you. You'll find your place. Mm-hmm.